Hannah Hampton, and you're listening to HR After Hours. Well, all righty. Well, butter my grits <laughs> and call me Alice. How are Alice. you today, Hannah Hampton? Hey there. <laughs> all right. So Hannah and I always like to have a little pre-podcast conversation, and I really liked uh, what you brought up to me about the awareness and understanding of a resume gap year, or years. Or years, yeah. So I, you know, it started, I have a, a good friend of mine who, you know, it's been a year now, but uh, she had saved up her money and had been planning on taking a year or more off of work to travel the world or travel part of the world. And so she's currently in Australia right now, but it really, uh, thinking about this amazing thing that she got to do and thinking about it in the world of human resources, I think about more and more people are taking what they're calling a gap year, taking some time off to explore the world, explore hobbies, explore things that they're really passionate about and taking time away from careers, which I feel is a newer phenomenon. You don't, you wouldn't think of this as something that people do on a regular basis, but we're seeing more and more of it. And so as human resources professionals, we need to think about how that affects us in our recruiting and how we review resumes. So that's, that's a bit about the gap year and what I want to talk about today. So when you say taking time off to do these type of things like travel the world, you don't mean early on before their careers really kicking it off uh, or taking off. Um, you mean, you know, they could have five to 10 years into their career, be mm-hmm. established in their industry. And then all of a sudden, if you're looking at them from just a resume standpoint, you see this, you know, maybe this great career progression. You see them building to where they want to be in the career and then uh, an end date to employment and then a year or longer until you see something new. Yeah. And before, if this was a, uh, a woman, maybe we assumed that they took, chi- you know, FMLA off, time for childbirth. But this is something that uh, we shouldn't assume that. That, you know, what they say about assuming, correct? Yes. So this is people who are mid-career. I mean, and it can be at any point in your career, actually. This is not, hey, I graduated from college and I backpacked in Europe for a year, which I think we've been hearing about forever. This is somebody who has worked at a company or multiple companies for years, has lots of experience under the belt, but decides to take some time for, for themselves and to do things I mean, definitely you can consider it to be professional experience because it can help you see things differently, your point of view, but it's it's people who would take time off to really explore themselves, the world outside of their careers. And I, you know, you're going to see more and more of this, especially with our millennials as they, what they want out of careers is definitely different than the generations before them. And you know, we could, this could be a whole other topic, but you think about, I think about my parents' generation, they got a job and they worked at that same company until they retired. And that is what the generation did. You didn't go to other companies. I mean, you did, but it was more known for you to start a career at a company and you worked through retirement and you had your pension, you had your, 
you know, whatever. You waited for that gold watch, the 40 years that you spent with the company, but you just don't see that anymore. And millennials really want to get more out of their lives than just working until retirement. And that's that. So it's a really interesting thing. And, and ultimately, you know, considering I have a friend who's who's doing that. And that's, I, to be completely honest, I never thought about, you know, quitting my job to travel the world. But I think it's a really amazing life experience. And, and I think about it from a recruiting perspective, I definitely would like to see more people. Uh, I'd like to work with people who've got that type of experience. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I have so many thoughts. Imagine that. <laughs> No, yeah. when we when we were talking about it earlier, there are definitely some things. First off, let's just go, you know, recruiting 101. Yeah. You know, there was a period of time where you were trained. This is how a resume should look. Yeah. It didn't require much analytical thinking. It was very black and white. And um, that's just what you did. And so if you saw large gaps in a resume, it went to your, if I even think this is worth checking out later pile. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in, and a lot of times that's due to ignorance, even beforehand, before this trend of more travel, I'll, I'll never forget when I first worked in Southern California, I would see these great resumes and then they would have these gaps. Um, and it always just seemed to be right when someone was taking off into a, a leadership role and their responsibilities had increased for like a year or so. And then all of a sudden I would see these six to nine month gaps and I would mm -hmm. automatically just move it aside, like assuming they went through something personal or whatever it is. They just got burnout because I was yeah. recruiting for an industry that had a very high burnout rate. And then I was at a career fair where you pretty much interview almost anyone that wants to come up and talk to you, or at least you engage with them. Sure. And this gentleman hands me his resume and I'm going through it. And I, you know, I say, sit down and we start talking and this, this guy was so sharp. And I'm like, well, I've got, I'm definitely, I want to dig deeper. And so of course the first thing I did though, is I went to that gap and I never felt so ignorant in my life because what I came to discover, and I was in Southern California at the time, was that, uh, and I don't know if any of this has changed, but during that period of time, if you had a relative uh, that lived in Mexico that passed, if you did not get a family representative down there very quickly, um, the government would just seize the inheritance property. So the government, or they would take an ungodly percentage of it. I mean, even more than you know what we do here in the States as far as an inheritance tax. So typically it was uh, a male that would go down and basically represent their entire family for the estate and have to basically get representation and stand off against the government or they would lose everything. And I, and this was at least a six month, uh, procedure at the time. Yeah. And if I had never sat down with that gentleman and had him tell me that who knows how much longer it would have been before I'd been aware of that and how many more candidates I would have pushed over into my, maybe if I feel like looking at it later pile, just due to sheer ignorance of something yeah. like that. Now, no, I agree. I agree. Now, I think it, it brings up a point of we as as HR professionals need to take this into consideration on how we how we look at our resumes. And I think that it's important that people don't throw it in the no way pile just because you see a gap. But I don't mean I also don't think that you shouldn't address it. 
So I think it's important that a discussion be had during the phone screen or the first step in the process to learn a little bit more about why the person, uh, you know, had that gap. Because I, let's all we've all seen that resume where the person has short stints and then gaps, and and then we dig, 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 and find out that the person can't get along with their manager and has been terminated. I, I personally have seen that before. But you know, if you if you see some gaps or a big gap. It's really important that you learn why and not just put it in the no pile right away. I I agree. And I do think that seeing this one gap is different than seeing just an overall inconsistent and poor yeah. resume with a lot of turnover. 100%. <laughs> what I really like that you mentioned earlier is that you can still look for transferable life skills into business skills and growth and experience over this. Because until I had a job that I traveled a lot, I was pretty naive in to just that type of that that topic of travel and business travel and the right things to book things or just a general awareness that I do think when you see someone that's taken that time off to travel and see things, you've definitely got to give them. Uh, at least the opportunity to show you that they've had some growth during that experience, because yeah. that kind of emotional uh, and just mental growth that would t- transpire in an outing like that is very comparable. And then, you know, getting some of their just basic work skills down in previous experience, I think. Absolutely. I think it's important. You know, there's a I found this website and it's called gapyearassociation.org. And they provide information for those who want to take that gap year. And they talk a little bit about uh, ideas on how to address it on your resume. And I think it's great to, you know, again, I think it's going to take time for HR professionals to start kind of changing the way they look at resumes. But it's, it's an important thing to be able to put something on your resume to show what you've been doing. And, you know, honestly, it's kind of interesting to me when I had the conversation with my friend before she left on her travels, you know, she, she debated on whether or not to take this gap year, but then realized she doesn't want to work for a company that doesn't understand that why she wanted to do this. And I thought that was a really great point that you want to work for a company that understands that, you know, professional development is important, but also personal development is extremely important. And this is something that she wanted to do personally to have a, a different experience and to grow her, the things that she's passionate about, and that's travel and seeing the world and learning about other cultures. So I think it's really important that companies truly uh, take the time to understand the gap year and not let it scare you from hiring somebody who could be amazing, an amazing employee. And I think the first step is we need to look at how to properly interview for those gap years, just like we would interview um, for, you know, previous experience. And as we gauge how they left a previous job, what they bring to the table from Mm -hmm. that previous work history, those are things that we can create interview questions to address those gap years in the same way. If the person said, hey, I just went up to Colorado and smoked pot for 12 months <laughs> and lived in the hills and learned how to grow organic cucumbers, that's probably not someone that's bringing a lot of life experience to the table from that one you know, excursion. 
Unless it, it's like a, you're you're going to get hired at a farm or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and there there's uh there's a lot there about those mountains that uh, I've seen a lot of uh, documentaries on Netflix, etc. So you could definitely go through <laughs> some very building some strong emotional walls if you go up into that type of thing. But if you talk to someone who's traveled various countries and they immerse themselves in the culture or yeah. they went to learn about art or even if they can tell you about the the trials and tribulations and how they grew as a person from just the travel itself i mean if you remember hannah almost lost her shit sitting on a plane for three hours <laughs> So, I mean, imagine what someone else could share with you after 12 months of travel using yeah. planes, trains, and automobiles and all things John Hughes. So, I mean, there's definitely a way to interview and learn more from about that person from what they gained from that those gap years or gap year. And that's, you know, that's exactly right. Like, they there's a lot of value to that life experience and and making sure you know number one if you're the person who has that on the resume making sure you're showing the value on your resume what you learn what you experienced uh but again from the employer side asking questions and, and learning about the value it brings to that candidate and what that person can bring to your company and i think that again it's important important that we take the time to discuss and uh, you know things are not what they used to be so we have to really look at resumes differently than we used to and this is one of those things that you will see more and more of and so we have to be prepared for it. That that is the difference between being a mediocre recruiter and a great recruiter is being able to adjust and still get the most information possible from the candidate and because what are we really interviewing for? We're interviewing to see if this person's a fit with our company and our culture and if they share our, our beliefs and what we're looking for in someone that's going to drive the business forward. And so when you see someone that's traveled, then, you know, take the time to prep for your interview with them to have questions specific to their travels or what they saw. And that way you can learn more about them as a person and how their brain works and whether or not you think there's someone that could engage with your team and your company and that experience that they took off that before was just a blank portion of a resume could be some of the most insightful information you're going to gather in the interviewing process. Yeah. Oh, I 100% agree with that. And it was really well said. And I, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> Wow. Well, I guess it'd be more shocking if I had nothing to say. But, <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here for. So, you know, I love the topic. Thank you for bringing it up. And then that's something we're going to have to continue to do moving forward is find ways that we can get the most out of what we do and adjust um quicker than those around us to separate ourselves from the herd of pretty good recruiters to damn good recruiters and HR professionals. Hannah Hampton, you rock, and we'll be right back. Holy cow, Hannah, do you know what time it is? What time is it? Well, all I got to say is roll them if you got them, because it's time <laughs> for a smoke break. Smoke break! <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring up a 
topic that I, I hear about and I've experienced in, in past lives, and that's the Sunday Night Scaries. Have you heard of the Sunday Night Scaries? You know, what's funny is I've never heard it called that before, and you were explaining it to me a little a little earlier. So go mm-hmm. ahead and share it with our listeners. So the Sunday Night Scaries, that's when you are at Sunday night and maybe you're getting ready to watch your favorite show, but all of a sudden you are washed over with dread because... It's Monday, and you have to go to work after the weekend, and it's scary to you. And that's that's just a really quick way of explaining it. But I see it on the internet where people call it the Sunday night scaries, and uh, I feel like it's it's I hear more and more of it, and it's definitely a real thing of of dreading going to work on Monday, which you know I find to be uh, you know it's a real thing. However, it's a sad thing. Uh, at the end of the day, we spend a lot of time at work, and it's really not a good thing if you are dreading your job that you spend eight to ten hours or even more or less every day. So have you have you ever had the Sunday Night Scaries? You know, I didn't have the Sunday Night Scaries, but I used to have the Monday morning panic attacks. Okay. And that was when I, I used to – I worked for a company – where we had Monday morning conference calls and I had a regional vice president. He was always going to yell at someone on the Monday Mm. calls and you didn't know what department it was. You didn't know who was getting it. There was never an indicator. It was almost like he just had a raffle of the unfortunate. And if your name was drawn, you were going to be the one that basically just kind of got your ass handed to you on right. Monday morning. And there really wasn't an indicator. Like, you know, some people listen and they go, well, you know, you knew that you were the one that screwed up or didn't get what you needed to have done. So Monday morning that you, you know, you knew it was coming. And it wasn't right. a case of that. It was just a case of you, that was his style was that someone was always going to get their ass chewed out in the conference call. And you just didn't know who it was. And it was such a terrible way to start off the week that it almost sometimes was a very similar, if not a true pain panic attack. You're just like, God, I hope it's not me. Don't let it be me today. So a little, a little more intense, I think probably than the Sunday scaries, we'll call it Monday morning mania, but I know (laughs) I've seen like the memes out there on the internet and I've, I know people that have said things like that, you know, you're talking to them at seven o'clock on Sunday and they're like, Oh, I got to go to work tomorrow morning. And there was, you could just see the dread. They weren't like doing it for just to make conversation. You could actually see someone that was just like, oh my God, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. You know, like they're holding onto that tree and you're pulling them off to work the next day. No, don't make me go. And I've never really experienced that. You know, my Monday morning panic attacks were uh, related directly to one individual. And I'm going to forward this podcast to you, sir. (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, we just had a segment on taking a gap year. So if you have every Sunday night, are scary. Maybe you need to start thinking about your gap year. Uh, but <laughs> there are less drastic ways that you can avoid the Sunday night scaries. And I feel, you know, it's 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 not an easy thing to address. But I think if you're somebody who's regularly having the Sunday night scaries, really take a step back and look at look at what's going on at work and looking for things that maybe you can uh, address. 
And one of them is taking a look at your workload. Is it, are, are you getting the Sunday night scaries because you know that Monday you're just going to get your ass kicked? Uh, you know, is that part of the reason why you have the scaries? Or is it you just don't like your job? Well, then I say polish up that resume and start looking for something else. I, I feel if, if it's more about your workload or the things that you're working on, it's about time for you to have a, a heart-to-heart conversation with your boss about some of the things that you're working on. Maybe you need to lighten your load. Maybe you need to find a new exciting project to work on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. I think sometimes what's frustrating from an HR perspective is you do get the person, and I, you know, I just said, hey, polish up your resume, but you do get people who leave companies when you could have had that great conversation with your boss and changed some things and made it better, but instead you take I don't want to say the easy route, but you take the non-confrontational route, you find a new job versus trying to fix something that might be broken in your your current job. And I I certainly think that that's going to help with these Sunday night scaries. What do you think, Mick? I think there are a few pieces to it. I think you're really hitting the heart of it and the fact that you've got to look at what's causing this. And, Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, there, this is an, uh, you've described what's a general uneasiness. You're not happy with work, obviously, or you wouldn't start thinking about it the night before you're even going in. So there's two different approaches to this. I like and agree that most of it does have to do with stopping and really looking at your job itself. Mm-hmm. And we'll, I'll, I'll definitely going to spend more time on that than anything else. The first thing, though, is there are some things you can do um, personally to make the likelihood of the Sunday scaries, um, make it less likely or less impactful. Mm -hmm. And one thing is just taking a very general approach of living in the now, which we've all heard more and more of that coming out. Um, and you know, as there is more of an awareness of mental health and your just, you know, your consciousness and being aware of where you are and what's around you. And one of my favorite quotes, and it's misquoted and often um, butchered in one way or another, but it's a very simple process in, in saying that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. And if it, you're at peace, that means you're living in the present. So if you are just worrying about right now, right now, that is when you're going to be the happiness. If you are anxious and nervous, that means you're worrying about things that you may possibly not even be able to control right now. If you're worried about how Bob's going to deal with this at work tomorrow and how that 10 o'clock meeting is going to go, I mean, you need to be prepared for those Mm -hmm. things. And that's the work piece. But as far as the mental piece, you need to just pick and choose your battles for lack of a better thing to say. So when it comes to the work side of it, you've got to just prioritize your task and determine what needs to be accomplished by when you've got to use a calendar. And if you use that calendar properly and you do the things on the calendar that you've established as being reasonable goals and a reasonable amount of time, then 
Sunday should be about Sunday. It should be whether it's family, reading, meditation, yoga, hiking. I don't care what you do. But it doesn't (laughs) need to be about work unless you've designated Sunday is something that you're going to spend X amount of hours preparing for. But if you use a calendar to prioritize things and establish this is the time for me that I'm going to make, you know, do the things that are important to me, whether it's family, friends, et cetera, then the Sunday scary should go away. If you're someone that's just completely absorbed uh, uh, with the the unknown and all that it may bring, then honestly, you really need to figure out how you're going to tackle that and do so accordingly, whether it's seeing a professional, whether it's doing yoga, meditation, reading, you know, getting some courses. There's so much out there right now, whether it's, you know, uh, Eckhart Tolle or Elephant Journal, or just going to basic meditation and yoga classes. Those are all things you can do to make Sunday, if that's your day off, make it your day. I hope that's that's helpful. Am I in the right direction of where you were going? What are you thinking? Yes, definitely. But, you know, and I, I, I also want to stress the importance of you need to have a good relationship with your boss, supervisor, manager, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, if there are things that are keeping you up at night or keeping you from being successful or feeling good, have those conversations. And that's, you know, I think that that doesn't happen enough out there. And and, and if it does at your organization, awesome. That's a success. But certainly, you know, we are all people and your manager is a person. We're all humans. And I always say, let's put the human back into human resources and have those conversations, because I think certainly your manager wants to keep you engaged and happy at your job. So make sure that you're bringing that up because I think that there are a lot of things that they could do to make things better that we forget. It's like, hey, you know, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable in front of the guy that or the gal, the person, I apologize, the person, my my current supervisor is a male, so that's why I said that, but uh, that it's, it's hard to be vulnerable in the person who gives you your raises and uh, keeps you, you know, keeps you employed, I guess is a good way to put it. So we, we just need to, to look beyond that and understand that not only, you know, do they want us to do a good job, but they want to be able to help us do a good job. And if there are things in the way keeping us from doing a good job or keeping us from being happy, well, we need to get them involved. So that's my only other advice for you. And I think you're going to like what I have to say uh, as I tack on to that mm-hmm. is when Hannah talks about having conversations with either your your direct supervisor or the HR department about things to you know help you make the right decisions probably i have two great pieces of advice that were given to me that i'm going to carry on and one i've mentioned before and it was the only good piece of advice that uh someone i worked with that i never really saw eye to eye with gave me and it took me longer than it should have to realize this but first thing you have to do is you have to take the emotion out of it so running into the hr manager's office or to your supervisor's office when something you've had that straw that's broken the camel's back (laughs) and you go in all riled up and you go damn it hannah hampton i can't handle this any longer Well, you've lost five parts of the battle, but you know, within yep. five seconds by walking in that way. If you want to have a professional conversation, something that's actually going to be impactful on your career and that particular job moving forward, 
you've got to be prepared for that conversation by writing out some bullet points, really, you know, checking the boxes of what's the most important to you and go in and have a well-prepared conversation with either your supervisor or the HR individual. That way, the emotion's been taken out of it. You're looking at what's on that piece of paper or what you've written on your phone. I got to get with the times today. (laughs) And you're prepared and you can have a productive conversation. If you want Walk in, you know, just freaked out and all frazzled. Nothing's going to happen other than the fact that you're going to do some damage uh, because people aren't going to take you as being as stable as they thought you were or, you know, possibly just look at this as the first sign of your demise as an employee that you're just you're about to check out. So go in prepared. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is give yourself time. If something's really important to you on Sunday, write it out and then look at it at the end of the day, Monday, and see how many of those things that you were so concerned with that it ruined your day off, how many of them were realistic concerns and how many of them were things that you fought in your head. Because 90% of our biggest battles actually take place in our own heads. And who hasn't had that argument with that supervisor or coworker (laughs) in the shower before you even get your car to go to work and you've anticipated all these terrible things they're going to say to you and you get into work and you run into that person all fired up and they go, hey, Hannah Hampton, how the hell are you feeling today? I haven't really stopped and asked you about you. How are you doing? And then you're like, wow, I just spent two and a half hours engaging in a mental argument with this person, anticipating that they disliked me because of a look they gave me on Thursday. And they just asked me how the heck I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things can be eliminated by you just stop pull the emotion out, take the right amount of time to really look at things and then bounce things off. Because remember, that's the reason this whole podcast uh, exists and was created because Hannah and I used to spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half on the phone talking each other off the ledge from these type of things. Certainly. <laughs> you, I've got nothing to add to that, but you, uh, <laughs> I'm like, um, my favorite idea that you shared was making a list of things on Sunday and seeing if it's still important on Monday. It's kind of like the old, uh, so I like to shop a little bit and it's one of those things where there's something you want to buy. Don't buy it immediately, but uh, maybe put it in your cart, maybe uh, close out that uh, webpage and come back 24 hours later. And if you still want it, that means you still want it. If you don't, you didn't need it. So I think that's great advice and I'm glad that we talked about this. You know, what's really funny, Hannah, is I can tell that you're like, holy shit, I did not (laughs) realize that Vic Danzig is that deep. So on that (laughs) note, ladies and gentlemen, go take on the day. 